This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. You know, our podcast has really been featuring a lot of incredible athletes and veterans uh, previously, and I found this story, and it's a little bit off of where we normally go, but it was one when I heard the story, it was a story that needed to be told, and I am so excited to bring you today's guest, Kyle Kilausing. Did I get that right, Kyle? Okay. I'm going to read Kyle's bio to you, and then we're going to dive into a fascinating conversation. A native of the Big Island, Hawaii, Kyle Kilausing is a motivational speaker and formal, former crystal meth addict who has dedicated his life to educating youth about the dangers of one bad decision. After growing up as the grandson of the chief of police and an aspiring golfer, Kyle tried crystal meth at 24 years old. That decision led to what he describes now as a momentary euphoria that became a whirlwind of havoc. A gripping addiction quickly developed and a string of arrests ended up landing Kyle in prison for 10 years. He spent the next 3,650 days reflecting on his mistakes and the trajectory of his life. Now free and filled with hope, Kyle has visited over 167 schools and shared his story to over 142,000 students in the past five years. The possibility that one innocent soul can be saved from a path of torment is all that I need to do to continue my pursuit for an impact, he says. Kyle, all the way from Hawaii, welcome to The Resilient Life, and thank you so much for joining us today to share your story. Aloha, Ryan. Thank you so much for inviting me, and thank you so much for having me on your show. Yes. Well, let's dive right into it. I loved, so you came to us, you shared your story a little bit with us, and I was blown away. I'm looking at pictures of this beautiful young boy standing next to Tiger Woods, playing golf, and and I'm reading about your background, your family growing up. I mean, your grandfather was the chief of police. Yeah, and his name so, was George Martin. George Martin, and that's a big deal, okay? And yeah, so- I, I have to imagine that your family was pretty well known if your grandfather's yes. the chief of police. Um, yes. Tell us about what your upbringing looked like as a child. So growing up as a grandfather, like my grandpa, which was the chief of police, George Martin, he instilled a lot of things in me as a child. He instilled in me respect. He instilled in me love, peace, etiquette, all that good things that a police chief has in him so he taught me the, the game of golf yeah we he his backyard you open up his door it's the golf course so he taught me this sport since i was like three years old i learned how to golf 
and I quickly picked up the sport. And by age 10, I already was a state champ. I flew to the mainland, Presidio Hills, California, and I competed for the first time against Eldrick Tiger Woods. He was nine, I was 10. And I represented my state of Hawaii for the past six years as a child. But 10 years old was a special year because that's the first time I ever competed in a junior world national champ, junior world championships in Presidio Hills. And in that tournament, I came fourth. I was fourth in the world. Of course, Tiger came first. <laughs> I won six state titles. And my best accomplishment playing against him was fourth in the world. And in here in Hawaii, I was known as the kid gonna go far with golf. Everybody knew me. That kid right there, gonna go far, bro. At 10 years old, once I won my first state title and once I came forward in a row, I ran on goal. I'm gonna beat everybody in junior golf. I'm gonna go high school. I'm gonna beat everybody in high school. I'm gonna go college. I'm gonna beat everybody in college. I'm gonna turn pro and I'm gonna buy me on mansion. <laughs> that was my goal at 10 years old. Okay. So I put in work before school. I would go golf. After school, I put my backpack down. I'll grab my golf clubs and I'll go golf. Every day I did that. Okay, high school, I was getting numerous offers and stuff for schools. And as a young kid, it was quite overwhelming. And I grew up with humility. My grandpa always taught me, no matter what, you win or lose, you, you be humble. You humility, you, you, you're not, don't be arrogant. And just teaching me. But as the offers came and offers came, my head got big and big and big and big and big. And big. And a pride and ego filled my head. And I, I became different from just that pride. I was walking around campus like I was the man after that. Like, well, the teachers used to tell me, Kyle, you better stop your attitude like this. And I used to tell them, brother, don't talk to me like that. You just want to teach it, bro. I won't be a millionaire in a mansion. You better relax, boy. You better relax, bro. And that's the mentality I had. Yeah. And I was walking around showing off to people, telling people I'm going to be this, I'm going to be that. I was already want this much titles and this and that. And then one day I did something bad in school. Yeah. Which kicked, I got kicked out. My senior year, I had six months left. You're kicked out of school six months before graduating. Yeah. And, and what is it? Does your golf career stop then? Is it over? Stop. Oh, I'm 17 years old. I was, I took it as, I put so much work and effort into becoming what I supposed to become. Right. And now I got a big roadblock. 17 years old. My life is over. That's what I thought. I don't know how to build nothing. I don't know how to fix nothing. All I know how is to golf and hit one golf ball 300 yards down the fairway. That's what I know. So what do you do at that time? Because you really don't get in, I will say, don't get into the wrong things, but you're kind of already leading down a bad path at that point. We live on an island here in Hawaii. Yeah. And we surf a lot. So I go surfing a lot now. And at that time in my life, I just was going around to the beaches and surfing. And and one of these boys that I was surfing with, bust, when bring out a crystal man pipe, and before this day in my life, I never smoked cigarette, I don't drink beer, I don't smoke weed, not even banana leaves down the river with my friends, nothing. The crystal met Pike came to me and my friend told me, bro, you here with us now. 
Okay? Money still smoked this rounds. And I heard my mom's voice. I heard my grandpa's voice in my ear telling me, if you ever do drugs, I'm going to give you lickings. And lickings means you get beat up. And I heard my parents' voices, my grandpa's voice especially. So I told my friend, no, bro. I don't like I go, thank you. Come on, bro, for the boys, bro. Peer pressure got me and I did them. I inhaled a crystal meth smoke. And when I blew out, exhaled the crystal meth smoke, I blew out all the morals and everything was in me growing up. Morals, respect, etiquette, love, everything came out of me at that moment. And I became one menace. And I did things that I had to do to fuel my addiction, which had a Christmas addiction, which was had a massive grip on me. I think that's a scary thing. I hear about that a lot. And, and you talked about it. Um, and you've talked about it a lot. Just it was that first hit of that pipe. You were hooked and you hear oh. a lot of people that deal with uh, drug addiction, whether it's heroin or crystal meth or um, that it's it only takes once. And it's such a scary thought for kids to to make sure they understand the, the devastating effects of things can happen and change in an instant with that. And instant, instant. So you take that okay. you take that hit of the crystal meth pipe and everything changes. And right away you're, you're addicted. And huh? what does that look like? Um, you know, from that first experience on, are is that just you're living your life according to how you can get money to fuel your drug addiction? Right. And I did so many bad things here on the big island where I live. Because the golf superstar was going to go away and be a millionaire. is now a menace on the streets, terrorizing the community that, once looked up to him as a prodigy golfer. Now I'm on, they're hiding from me. And wherever I went was like a tornado, bro. And I was out of control. Like I said, we're living on an island. Yeah, we see each other every day here in Hawaii. Every day. Yeah. And for four years, I, I, run, I run amok. And I've been labeled many things in a court of law. I've been labeled uh, Hawaii's Most Wanted. And I've been labeled a one-man crime wave. And I've been labeled many things, bro. That wasn't me, but I became because of my crystal meth addiction. So they caught me. Four years later, we live on an island. When I go to the schools, I always say that to the schools here in Hawaii. We live on an island. If you do bad, you're going to get caught, bro. We live on an island. Where are you going to run? <laughs> yeah? So four years of a mock, I ran around this whole island terrorizing. And a day they caught me in 2005. They caught me. They catch you in 2005 and, and you spend the next 10 years in prison. They caught me and they took me to the Hilo jail. And before this, I never get, like I said, I never get in trouble growing up, you know. This is my first time I ever got arrested. And I was looking at 20 years. I have a question for you, Kyle. So yes, as yes, you're sorry. going through this process, this, these five years of, as you call it, running amok through the, the island, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is there ever a moment that you stop and think, what am I doing? What am I doing with my life? No, not, none of that. Everything was how I getting my next hit of crystal meth. How I going to do this? Who I going to rob? Who I going to do this to? Whose house I going to break into? And that, where, that was 
Where is your mom and your grandfather? Like, what role are they playing at this time for you? My grandfather had already passed. Mm -hmm. My mom, shoot. Nobody in my family ever got arrested or in trouble. So now my mom is freaking out. She's seeing me all over the news, crying every night. My mom is a Christian lady. She she bought one police scanner, and I have panic cousins in the police department, and then hook up on her scanner so she can hear. And every night she used to tell me she she heard me. Oh, we got him! We got him! And sirens, and she's just listening at home on a scanner. And she used to cry, and the set the scanner would go all quiet. Oh, we lost them! We lost them! And she would like bittersweet, yeah. Yeah. And it was, it was rough on my mom and my family. I would imagine being a mother, and as hard as it is to say, if you were my son, I would imagine that once you're caught and arrested and put in jail, there's probably a bit of a sigh of relief that you're mm -hmm. off the streets and you no longer have access to what you had access to when you were not in jail. And, and so it's probably becomes a good thing. Um, mm -hmm. so walk us through what that's like your first days when you, when you report to jail, are you okay, terrified? They, they are you me up after like five high speed chases? They finally got me and they took me to the Hilo jail right by my house and they put me in the Hilo jail. Like I said, I was 98 pounds. I was withered, battered, broken. For the next two weeks, all I did was sleep. Because when you're high on crystal meth, you used to hardly sleep and you hardly eat. So that's the two things that I mostly did the first couple days in Hilo jail. I ate and I slept and I ate and I slept. And two weeks later, I was strong already, physically. I was, I gained my weight back. I started doing push-ups and I got strong. But my brain, my addiction still had the grip on me. And I wanted to smoke crystal meth so bad, Ryan. You cannot believe how bad I wanted to smoke crystal meth. And at that time, when I was in Hilo jail, the big island was going through a crystal meth pandemic at the time. So the jail was packed with people, packed with people. So they put me in one little room with like 40 other inmates. And that's how much... It was an overcrowded room because it was so packed. And at the top of this room had a skylight at the top where light could come in. It's like 30 feet up on the ceiling. Mm -hmm. And I was looking at that window and I told my friend, I need to smoke crystal meth. I'm going to escape. <laughs> he laughed at me. He said, how are you going to escape, bro? I said, you see that window up there? I'm going to do it. I'm going you guys gonna take out take everybody's sheets. You guys, all my friends in this like cowboys. Yeah. You guys gonna make rope with the sheet. You guys gonna braid on. You guys gonna make me a lasso. That's all you guys gotta do for me. You can do that for me. Okay, we can. They kick everybody off their beds, take everybody's sheets, because they like see me escape. So they make one lasso. The guy lassoed a light for me. Boom. I grabbed the rope, the handmade rope. I climb up. Grab the light, climb up the light, grab onto a piece of wood, make my way over 20 feet, climb up again, climb up again, all the way to the top, like Hawaiian ninja warrior. <laughs> yeah. And I was on top, but a light and I broke the window with my elbow while balancing on a two by four. 
and I hit in the window as, as hard as I can while keeping my balance. You gotta listen to this story, Ryan. Okay, God is so good. I finally break the window, and the window is shaped like a triangle. It's like a triangle. Uh huh. And I squeeze through this window, and I got caught. My arm got caught. My back is like ripped from the jagged glass, and I'm on the roof now. I'm on the roof at the Hilo Jail, and I jump off the roof. Cause I want to smoke crystal meth. I want addict, and I go do what I gotta do fulfill my addiction. I jump off the roof. I run through the grass. I go to the first house I see, and I steal me on truck. Wait, what did you steal? A truck in somebody's garage. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and it's on. Twelve days I was free on my escape. Like I said, we live on an island right here. Yeah, we live on an island. Where are you going? <laughs> You're gonna get caught. I gonna get caught. That's what I stress to the kids now. Yeah. So twelve days, three high speed chases later, they got me again. So you get to this prison in Oahu, and yep. you know you're not escaping there. Like no, nope. you're you're there. Nope. Yeah. And so, how quickly do you process that this is your life now? Like you're in prison, you're not getting out. And do you make that decision quickly to, because you talk about, you say, um, I've heard you say that you had to feel what you felt in prison and see what you yeah. saw in order to yeah. move forward. Like, yeah. what do you mean by that? And how quickly does okay. that happen? When it took me to Halava prison, I was shackled head to toe. That kind of, I couldn't, my, my chains were so tight on me because I want to escape escapee so they gave me to the prison you ever heard of the hole ryan the it's hole. A prison term it's called the hole is isolation sure yeah okay so they grab me and they look at me right in my eye and they tell me oh you don't punk from a big island yeah okay try that over here we get something for you over here yeah big guards big ones big polynesian big ones they take me to the hole and they put me in the hole for three years, right? Three years Three you were in isolation. Years. Wow. Yeah. So they put me in a hole every day. One trap door would open on my door. Whoop. And my plate of food would come through. And I'll grab my plate and the trap door would close. And 10 minutes later, the trap door would open. I would put my plate back. They would close them. And that was breakfast. Three times that would happen to me in a day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. That's it. That's it. For one time, the, within the first week of being isolated, they gave me one shower. They put me in handcuffs. They put me in shackles. And they would walk me down the hallway. They put me in a shower that is two feet by two feet. With a cage, they locked me in the shower. Cold water came on. And that was my shower. After the shower went off, 10 minutes went off automatic. When the water went off, I was in there for the whole day, right? In that cage. And I was yelling, oh, hello, ACO. And ACO is adult correctional officer. ACO. ACO. They skipped my lunch. I was in that little shower, two feet shower for almost a whole day, standing there, naked. Finally, they come up to me. Oh, what? You like shower again tomorrow? No, I'm good. 
You sure? Yup. They did that on purpose, so I, I don't ask for showers anymore. Yeah, because who likes staying on two by two stainless steel shower naked for the whole day? Not me. So. So you're in isolation for three years. And yeah. So one, once they, oh, sorry to interrupt. Once they brought me back to my cell, uh -huh. once that day went closed after the shower, I was stuck. Never left again. For three never years. Never left again. Yep. I never see one human again for three years. Man. I never see outside for three years. I never see one human for three years. I never hear one human for three years because I had a punk from Big Island. And now I stay in a hole by myself, right? By myself. Well, what and, are you thinking when you're in this? I mean, I've got to imagine that people can go down. Well, you, you how can you not go down a bad path in your thoughts and your mind yeah, with that kind of isolation? I mean, you look at the isolation absolutely. that people are dealing with right now with the pandemic, mm -hmm. right? And it's, mm -hmm. it's like, I mean, you call it isolation, but it's us stuck at home with our friends and family, like in yeah. a house. I mean, yeah. you're in true isolation. Isolation, but God is good. And this is all part of his plan. And I don't care who you are, Ryan, you spend that much time in isolation something going to start taking a toll on your brain and things start to take a toll on me, man. not be able to hear one human, not able to able to see one human, just myself, not able to see outside. And the walls was caving in quick. I cannot, I cannot believe I, I survived that long of isolation by myself. So came on point now I did actually I did three years and two weeks in a whole. That was my sanction time. So once, like three years went on, three years went on and I needed help, right? I needed help. And growing up, one thing that wasn't instilled in me was God. There's one thing wasn't instilled in me that was good was God. So one day I woke up in the hole, isolation by myself, same walls. And I'm looking at the walls and I hear one voice in my head. I heard panic voices in my head, right? Yeah. But this day I heard voices in my head telling me, look, look at you, look at you. Six time, six time state champ, fourth in the world, golf prodigy, you in Halava prison isolation. Look at you. You're never gonna see outside again for a while. Look at you. Ram me head into the wall. Ram me head in the wall. Ram me head in the wall. And their voice was getting the best out of me, right? So I said, yeah. I could see my, literally see my beard on my face. That's how big my beard was on my face. I could see my hair growing on my face. So I said, yeah, you're right. Whoever you are talking to me, you're right. I'm going to ram my head into this wall and I'm going to end my life because this is not how I'm supposed to live. So I stepped back as far as I could to my cell, which was seven by seven, not 10 by 10, seven by seven. I went back up as far as I could. And I said, yeah, let's go. I'm going to ram my head into the wall. But I couldn't move right I could not move. I, my brain wanted to go, but I, my body couldn't. And I remember as a child, I saw one show of one guy, one grown man. He was on his knees asking for a guy named God for help because he needed help. Those images started flashing through my head. Pa, pa, pa. Remember the show. Remember the show. And then this was looking at the ceiling. My eyes was closed. And I saw the, I saw the images of that show I watched as a child. And at that point in my life, Ryan, I needed help. I needed help. So all those pictures flashing through my head, all I did was copy them. 
I went on my knees and I said, God, if you're out there, my name is Kyle. I need help. Not knowing today, he already knew my name. Yeah, he already knew. I was on my knees, but God help me in my little isolation cell, seven by seven, three years in. God, I need help. I'm sorry for all the bad things that I did. Help me, cause I was in Hawaii. We called each other cause, like cousin, mm-hmm. like a cousin. Yeah. I remember calling God cousin and all. Cause help me, help me, bro. I need your help. And bro, Ryan, I felt them. I felt something in my heart. Boom, boom hit me, bro. And the feeling of smashing my head was gone. And that's the day I got saved. Bro. That's the day I got saved. Hawaii's most wanted in a seven by seven cell on his knees, humility. Ask God for help, and He didn't save me. And now I look back. I look back a lot, Ryan, about my life, and I know here it is waiting there for me. Cause once I surrender to Him and I ask Him for help, oh, was like instant. Was like instant. That's how I knew His hand was just waiting. Surrender. Come on, boy. I got you in a place well. It's just you and me now. No more distraction from nobody, bro. Yeah. It took me that long for surrender, though, cause I was trying to do it myself. I was trying to cope through this isolation by myself and I was losing. Is it when you find that faith in God that you decide what your next step's going to be when you get out? Not yet. That takes some time. Not yet. Yeah. Yeah. So three years and two weeks of my front door of my cell finally opened. And I'm looking at these two guys looking at me. First thing they tell me is, oh, you're right or what? And I was looking at them. Think so? Think I right? He said, "Let's go." He said, "Let's go." I said, "Where we going?" He said, "You did it, man. You, you went to the high now." So I reached the high door. Everything is glass, so the guards can see from outside, so that they don't have to go in. They can see from outside. Everything is glass. So I sit standing outside the main door of glass, and I'm looking into this building with 179 guys, man. No more tea. Tattoos, that kind of crazy, like a movie. Right? And I'm standing and i sh- literally shaking, bro, in my clothes. You're scared. Skin. Okay. I say, I say, I lost all my pigmentation on my skin. I pale. My hair is wild. My beard is big. And I'm trembling in my pants, bro. The door finally opened. 179 guys stop what they're doing. Look at the door and they see me, bro at the door. The ACO behind me, the guard, go in. I couldn't move. I was frozen. He kind of would nudge me. Boom. I went in. The door and closed behind me. Bah! All he told me was my cell number, which was nine. So now I push in my wagon. I scared. I, I never did feel this fear in my life. And I can feel them. Prison. One thing about prison is you feel them. Right? You feel you can feel in there. And all I felt was tension and I felt them quietness and everybody looking at me. And I never like make eye contact with anybody because these guys never look. Yeah, I never like make eye contact with anybody. So all I was doing was looking on the, for the cell numbers. I seen cell nine and I left my wagon outside and I went in. Yeah, not even 30 seconds later. Three guys run into my room, close the door behind them, and beat me up so bad. But most importantly, you know what they wanted to find out that day, Ryan? If I was on prayer or on predator. 
And you, you know what they found out that day, real fast? That I was on prayer, bro. Yeah? And I've been taken advantage of. And they, they took my food. They took everything I they, they could, bro, from me. And then at that time, I believe that God planted the right people in our lives. Yeah? Even till today. Like how he planted me, us together. Mm-hmm. So we can share. Yeah? So the bunkie I had at that time, he was notorious. But that, he he had four life terms, one quadruple lifer. So one day I was in my cell. I just got beat up again. I was in my cell. I was crying. He came in. I look up at him. He slapped my face so hard. Pah! And he told me, bro, you know where you stay or what? I said, yeah. He said, I don't think you know where you stay, bro. Yeah. You live in me, what, two months? I see you get lickings almost every day, bro. Get up and do something, bro. I cannot see you live like this, bro. I know you're a good guy, bro. I live with you. I know it's not in you, but, bro, you got to remember where you stay, bro. Then I told him, I never get into one fight in my life. And he said, what? And he here with us. How much more years he get? I said, seven. He said, bro, you cannot live like this, bro, Kyle. You cannot live like this. I know you can fight, bro. I see you play basketball. I see you play handball. I see you run, bro. When we're outside. I know you can fight, bro. And my advice to you, bro. Okay, short timer. Can you call me on short timer with seven years? Because he's not seen the light of day. So he said, you, short timer. Fight, bro. All this going to stop. Promise. Put all your fear on the side. Remember where you stay, Kyle. And I know, I, oh man, it's so amazing how things work. So the next time somebody came do something to me, and I swung, and I, out of fear, I, I, I kept on going. And I beat up somebody. First time in my life. And... But you had to do that in order I had to survive. To. I had to. I had to. And I, I had to do that a couple more times. And when I went to prison, my heart, you know, the way I was raised, right, was like a tilled garden. That's how my heart was with one rose coming out. That's how my heart was my whole life. And every time I had to do something in prison or avoid getting beat up, I got to do this to that one guy for avoid getting beat up by those five guys, guess what I'm gonna do, right? Don't even think. Yeah, prison politics, bro. I had to learn all this from scratch. Nobody, no more manual handbook. So I walk up to that one guy, I gotta do something too, and I do him. And every time I'll do something out of character like that, I'll plant weeds in my heart, two weeds, boom, boom. And I have to do this again to somebody. Boom, boom, saved by God. I saved, I got saved, but I had to. And as time went on, you know what started happening to my heart, right? I was getting consumed by weeds, bro. And the thing was smothering the love, bro, in me. Well, let's, I really want to talk about where you are now because I, I mean, I yeah, can't we get even, it down, we get it down. 
I can't down. even imagine going through what you went through. Um, I mean, listen, you did bad things, so you went to jail. And yeah. unfortunately, you suffered in there. And I mean, I've watched, um, I actually, one of my favorite shows was Orange is the New Black. And it was, um, I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's about females in prison. And, yeah. and the big thing is when they go to solitary confinement and, you know, they go for like, they go for like two weeks and they come back and it's like the worst thing ever. And I'm yeah. watching it like, yeah. I couldn't imagine staying in there for one night. I can't yeah. imagine what that does to a person to be in there for three weeks or three years and then get out and be subjected to the type of torment you're subjected to. But I have to think that there was a reason that you were in there for three years, that you were able to find God and that yeah. you were able to become the person you are today because the work yeah. you're doing is incredible. So... You go out and you work with schools and you share the same story you're sharing with me. You share it with kids. Yeah. Right before I left, I told my bunkie, I said, bro, when I get out, I'm like, anybody come over here. He said, bro, you know what? I live with you for years, bro. And I know you're a good person, Kyle. When you get free, bro, share your story, bro. Share your story. Well, yeah. Boom. Let me out. They let me out. Now I'm free. I just did three years in a hole and ten years, seven years in a high. And now I'm free, back to Hawaii, the, the island that I once terrorized at home. I get a super big hug from my mom. I know all my front teeth gone. I went into prison, no tattoos. My whole body is covered of them, covered of them. And my mom looking at me, she's shaking, like, oh, son, what happened to you, son? I said, what, mom? Smiling with her, no teeth now. She said, first thing she, my mom told me out of the whole time, she said, son, what happened to your teeth? That's the response I got from my mom the first time I've been to your teeth. Because I had nice teeth too, mom. Anyway, it's all part of prison. Yeah? So now I'm free. So I work out planning. Because in prison, that's all I did was work out like a machine. Because you got to stay strong. Yeah. This is where the resilience come in. You got to be strong. 1,000 pull-ups a day. 2,000 push-ups a day. 100 burpees every hour on the hour. Strong. Yeah, so now I'm free. And I continue my regimen of working out because I did them for so long. Yep. That's a routine now. I get up, drink my coffee, use the bathroom, and it's on. What are we doing? Working out. Let's go. So I around by my house, get this park called Lilo Kalani Park. I start doing circuits. I'm running around this whole park, jumping on the wall, jumping on the trees. Boom, doing pull-ups. This free. i free, right? And I see one of my childhood friends. He call for me. He said, Kyle, Kyle. I look at him. I said, oh, what's up? He said, bro, when you got out? I said, bro, last week. He said, bro, you look so good. Bro, I was shredded. <laughs> and he told me, bro, I'm happy you, you home. What did you teeth, by the way? Oh, I lost some. Oh, man. Then he still has some, though, he told me. Then he told me, you know what? I'm I speaking to schools now. Yeah? And next week, I get on school, bro. Come with me. I said, what? Shay story, bro. Right there, I thought of my bunkie. Shay story. What? What time? At will. And I went. I went in my friend. And it's amazing, right? The, we did the school, and the impact was was crazy by the kids. I, just, I went in there, I shared my story. 
Yeah. And after I did that first school, my friend, his first mission was Kauai Island. You know the island of Kauai? I've been there. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. He told me, let's go. Come with me to Kauai. We will do all the schools on Kauai. Every school on Kauai. I said, you for real? He said, let's go. I said, let's go. So we went to Kauai. And in the in between getting ready for Kauai, since I moved around with shackles so much, I went to the store and Ace Hardware and it got me on chains and it got me on fake plastic handcuffs and I put them in my suitcase with me and I went. And then before the assembly, we, I was at a gym. I, we, we go set up the microphones, we make sure all, everything is good. Microphone check and I, I see one door and I kind of like kicked the door, boom. And I think I echo the gym. Oh, perfect. I told my friend, this is what I'm going to do. You introduce me in. Yeah. See that door right there. I'm going to kick the door as hard as I can 10 times. Then I come in in my shackles. He goes, what? He said, trust me, bro. Boom. Oh, yeah. My friend Kyle. Yeah, boom, 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 boom. Give him the respect. Boom, boom. Everybody start clapping. All the kids. 2,000 kids in the gym clapping. I hear them. Outside the gym, I start kicking the door as hard as I can. Shackled. Oh, 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 oh. I walk into the door with my shackles. No more shirt, one black pair of shorts, no more shoes, slippers, barefooted with shackles. And I come walk into the gym. The whole gym went quiet. Yeah. I wanted the kids to see the visual of my bad choice. Yeah. They saw, they felt them. Because all those kids staring at me felt like when I was walking into the high. So I don't know what they saw out of me. But whatever they saw would work. So I did my presentation. I did my presentation. And the next day I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning to go run. That was my first school in Kauai now. It was on Friday. Saturday I woke up for one run. Before I tie my shoes, I look at my phone. 100 messages on Instagram. The first message was from a boy. He said, uncle, I graduate in a couple months. Because of your presentation, I never going to do ice. Not even once. Thank you, uncle. Oh, I cry. I cry. The reason why I was crying, right? Because I don't, that kid not going to go through what I went through. That's one kid. I cry. The next message I read was from a girl. This message, when would take me so far in life. Her message was, uncle, my mom is in prison because of ice. Because of what you told us yesterday, I never gonna do ice, uncle. Thank you so much. And I cry, I cry. Yeah, long story short, we did every single school on the island of Kauai. Took us one month, I was gone. Away from my family, just got out. And we plant seeds, seeds of hope, seeds of everything that is good. And I work out, yeah. I still work out to this day, right? And I paddle canoe. I paddle the Molokai Channel. I did a Hilo Marathon. I did the Oahu Marathon. I did one Ultraton from where I live to the volcano, 31 miles. And... Every race that I do is for show people. Man. If I can, you can. 
Yeah, if, a 90, if God can save a 98-pound crystal meth addict and become a Spartan race winner, anything can happen, man. And the Spartan race is one of my favorite races I did in Oahu, Kuloa Ranch. And at that time in my life, I, I needed like financial. I had no financial help. So panic people when believing me. So they bought my airline ticket. They see me exercising. They see me running around this town. They bought me my workout shoes. They, they bought me everything. And I went to the Spartan race in Oahu, Kuloa Ranch. I was 41 years old. And my age bracket, 40 to 45, I came first place uh, in a Spartan race, Kulo Orange. And I share my story with plenty Spartans in, up there. I say, I was a nice addict, and I show my picture, and they look at me, what? I don't believe. I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Well, I think that's like, I think that's something that almost needed to happen because I think people need to see. I'll tell you, you know, when I saw the picture of you at your worst, it's shocking, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't look at a picture like that and say, oh, that, that person's going to overcome everything they're dealing with. They're going to overcome that addiction. They're going to come back. And, I mean, you just don't. And mm -hmm. not only did you come back, but you took it a second step. You made sure that mm -hmm. you were given the opportunity to share your story with others so... Mm -hmm in turn, they wouldn't make the mistakes you did. And I think that's a really selfless act because you could have gotten out and you could have, I, I mean, you could have done a few things. You could have gotten out and you could have gotten right back into where you started and gone down that path island. again. And, we're on an island. Yeah, and and that's, that's not uncommon with people um, that are, are overcoming addiction to relapse. And, um, you know, that, that was the life you knew for many years. And then... You know, or you could have come out and you could have lived a quiet life of just on your own. But mm -hmm. you chose to share your story in such a public way. And I, I give you so much credit for doing that. And I think I know how important sharing your story is. It's something that I do and I know how it feels. And I, and I often say, like, we're doing it so much for other people, but in the same time, you're doing it for yourself too, because to be able mm. to get out there and share your story, I know how good that feels because I've had that feeling myself of being able to share the things that I've overcome in my life with a, a big group of people. It's empowering. And right. I think it helps you probably, not to speak for you, but you to heal a little bit more each time mm -hmm. you're able to share your story with others. Um, I'd love to know what response you've gotten from the community, the community that saw you as the kid that was going to go far and be this professional golfer to the, the, the criminal who was terrorizing neighborhoods. And now the point that you've got to, how has the community embraced that? Well, now being in the public, I spoke, Kauai was our first island. I did six of them six islands of schools now and i terrorized the big island but i i give i consider every island in hawaii my home yeah so i give back yeah and i come across people because i tell the kids we live on an island stay good but i come across people that i did bad to not knowing that i never know i did bad to them but they know me so i'll be a couple times at events they'll come out wait 
in private, they'll call me on the side and they say, Kyle, you know, my name is so-and-so and you, you robbed my house and you did this and, but I follow you and I see what you're doing with the kids and I thank you for what you're doing, bro, for the kids and giving back, giving back. Like I said, I did six islands of schools. You know how much kids is that? Right, it's not planning kids, you know. And it, what you said earlier, it does help me. Keep me accountable. Yeah. I couldn't be bad if I wanted to. <laughs> I couldn't. You would come to Hawaii, me and you. We'll go to any island we go. Kids just going to run up to us. And they're going to tell me, uncle, I'm going to be good. Uncle, I'm not going to prison. Oh, uncle, you came to my school. Oh, keep me going, man. Keep me going. And I see plenty of people who battle with Chris Amet here where I live. Same people that I used to do with. And I see them and I instantly pray and I thank God because I'm grateful. I could be right there, like you said. And God didn't bless me with sobriety and freedom. And I'm not going to sit at home on a couch and do nothing about that. No way, not me. And I just feeling like giving back, but... I give not out of the sense of obligation, yeah? I give because I feel that I need to do something out of love, bro, yeah? And when all these kids, I will show you my phone. The messages on the phone is crazy with these kids, bro. Uncle, you know what? I went through one, one episode today at the beach and I remember your story, bro. And you know what? I just wanted to tell you thank you. And well, I think if you can, I remember the first time I gave a presentation uh, in a school and it was a, um, a school in Philadelphia and I walked in and I went through a metal detector. It was in a bad part of Philadelphia and I remember they had no, nothing on the walls and the, the resource officer that was walking me through the school said they had no paper on the walls because kids were lighting the posters and paper on fire. And I walked in to give that presentation. And when I started talking, the kids were yelling and they weren't paying attention. And I got super intimidated and I just, I just kept going. And I remember I walked out of the presentation and I said, you know, all I wanted to do was affect one child. And if I affected one child, then I accomplished my mission. And afterwards, I got an email from one of the teachers who had said that one of the kids came up and talked about what I had shared with them and said that they wanted to move forward living a, a greater life of service. And that right there, it that was all I needed. And so we can never underestimate the impact we can have just on one kid and the importance right. that it can bring. Right. And, you know, you have inspired thousands and thousands of kids. So that is not not something to take lightly and you know but with that comes an incredible responsibility on your end you can't mess yeah. up you have to be there you have to be accountable yeah. um yeah, i have to be accountable and these kids help me do that yeah well it, it it's it's incredible and i think the more people that can hear your story uh the better and i think just as important as those kids hearing your story it's also important for the people that are in the place you were in many years ago to hear your story and to know that there is hope on the other side. If I can, you can. Right. And you know, these kids and they, they, they help me be accountable. And 
I lost train of, lost train of thought just now. Well, let me ask you this, Kyle. As we close out our episode today, I one of the things I asked everybody as we as the final question is, what does living a resilient life look like for you? Living a resilient life to me is when um, struggles come, tribulation come. Like when I tell the kids this, I said every storm in life, including within ourselves, is temporary. There is no storm that lasts forever, guys. You guys remember that? So when you feel one storm within yourself, remember now, not going to last forever. And in that short time of this storm within yourself, be optimistic, have faith, call somebody, call me, and we, we get through them together, bro. You, some people work like me, work out, I exercise, I, I stay clean, sober, and the storm, I use the storm analogy. No storm lasts forever, bro. Stay resilient and hopeful, optimistic, and stay humble, bro. I love that. No yeah. storm lasts forever. It's something no that storm. I say um, in real time when my kids are scared of a, a thunderstorm, yeah. but also in a metaphoric sense. No storm lasts forever. I think those are no, powerful no. words and a powerful statement from a really powerful man and someone that I am happy to be able to share his story today. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us on the Resilient Life Podcast. Thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me, and I'm so grateful for you and what you do. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. Please make sure to like, subscribe, and share with your friends and family, and look forward to you all hearing Kyle's story and sharing feedback with us. Thanks again.